0: Finally, we are here on the last Sunday of 2020, in this unprecedented year of a pandemic. We are here together by God's invisible and undeniable protection and comfort. For this unique year's last Sunday, I want to share with you the most beautiful blessing of the Bible. I think the most beautiful blessing in the Bible is a pastoral benediction of Apostle Paul to Corinthian church in his last letter to them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, Paul gave a Trinitarian benediction, which has been the most popular and most common closing prayer of every Sunday worship and every special service for Christians. So you, have, you probably heard this before but the may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, this is also my favorite pastoral benediction. Why? Here, we see the beauty and truth and goodness of God in the most concise and connected fashion. Trinity or triune God, is a God of Christians Christians we don't just believe in any god we confess God as triune god Karl Barth once says the trinity is a name a christian name of god so christians we don't believe a generic god but we confess a particular god triune god today many christians do not properly or adequately understand and appreciate the meaning of triune God. When I ask Christians, oh, what does the Trinity mean? mean? They usually give a very semantic reply. God is a three and one, and one in three persons. So then I ask another question that, what? That sounds like a three musketeers. One for all, all for one? What's the difference between the three musketeers and the Trinity? What does the tri-unity of God mean? Today, on the last Sunday of 2020, I want us to understand Trinity deeper than before and close this year with the most beautiful prayer and the greatest praise. Trinity is the soul and the heart of God, our God, biblical God. Understanding Trinity is the most important truth in Christian doctrines. Yet, as a Robin Ferry, a British evangelical theologian says, some Christians treat the trinity like uh, appendicitis, an optional obsolete organ of a human body. Like uh, you know, appendicitis, trinity seems to be an obsolete old idea or some kind of a collateral or secondary concept. You know, very interestingly, Uh, Frederick Schiller he's a father of a so-called liberal theology in 19th century in Germany. He published a hugely, hugely demanded popular book called uh, Christian Faith. Actually, this book was so, uh, he was so respected by then that uh, when book was arriving in Berlin Station, the readers were waiting. It's like a Harry Potter book seven kind of thing in the theological version. And then in that book, guess where the Shilai Michael put the Doctrine of the Trinity? In appendix. Literally, in appendix. Not in the main body of the book, but the, in like uh, next to the index. Whereas, I saw so actually the sign and characteristic of a liberal theology or any bad theology is a superficial treatment of a trinity. In contrast, some of you know my hero, Karl Barth. Is a magma opus church dogmatics featured, featured Trinity as a foremost truth and the foundation of a Christian confession. That's why many recognize Karl Barth as a champion of orthodoxy and evangelical theology who recovers and restores primacy of a Trinity in Christian tradition from the heresy of a liberal theology. By the way, I just want to uh, use this opportunity to, you know, invite the newcomers, those of uh, you know us who are jo- checking out the forest, to take a cornerstone Bible study. There you will learn the full biblical meaning of Trinity. Now, while it will take eternity to experience the uh, meaning and blessing of Trinity, today I want us to learn three important blessings from Triune Benediction. That is, Trinity help us to have one correct view of God, two correct view of myself, three correct view of other people. Trinity teaches us who God is, and who I am essentially, and who other peoples are. With that, let us read our text today, Second Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse eleven. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The passage we just read, read was a Paul's last word to Corinthian church. This is also our 12th, 12th study, number 12 study of 2 Corinthians, Corinthians. We already had a glimpse about Paul's difficult relationship with the Corinthian Christians. They really disrespected Paul, their founding pastor, and compared him compared him to a false teachers and pretenders who call, you know, who call, call themselves super apostles, super apostles. Yet Paul was determined to love them and guide them again. In this last section of his last letter, I see Paul's heart of a good shepherd. I'm really touched by this. Here Paul gave them benediction not only once, but twice. If you look at the verse 11, Paul already said, finally, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Paul could easily stop letter there. But he gives them another benediction in verse 14. Here, Paul gives a full, long Trinitarian benediction. In another word, Paul gave double benediction to difficult, disrespectful, doubting people. And this benediction is longer than any other benediction Paul ever gave. And only to the troublemakers. That is, a you know, heart of a good shepherd. Good shepherd is not those who just love the people who like them. Good shepherd is a one who Actually, go after the lost sheep. more the trouble the ship is, the more heart goes out to them. Just like a parents. So here, I really touched and challenged by Paul. Now, let us find out how Trinity made Apostle Paul such a resiliently faithful good shepherd to others. And I pray that Trinity does the same transformation for each and one of us, each and every one of us. Now, so first thing is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that tells us who God is. Here, the first, was, first word of Paul's trinitarian benediction is the grace of the Lord Jesus. Here, Paul starts the trinity with a son. That's the order of a trinity Paul takes today, which is a very different from usual order of a trinity. Do you remember Matthew 28, 19? You know, when Jesus gave the great commission to the disciples, Jesus said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, and then baptizing them in the name of what? Order. Father, Son, and then Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I commanded you, right? But today, why did Paul start with the son instead of Father? For Paul, trinity means salvation. Technically speaking, Paul's order of trinity is so-called ordo salutis. That's a Latin word for. Uh, ordo salutis means order of salvation. Or more technical theological term is economic trinity. When you take uh, our Good Shepherd College and the third year, you will learn... Uh, systematic theology or constructive theology with me that's when you will learn there's two kinds of trinity imminent trinity and economic trinity once again this is my advert commercial the five five second commercial so i hope you know you keep on taking uh Kishapur college and then learn incredible exciting christian theology now Paul came to understand the Trinity not as a, once again, esoteric truth or abstract doctrine, but as a relational truth. For Paul, Trinity means dynamic redemption or redemptive dynamic. Paul was a Jew, a faithful Jew, Pharisee, who always believed in Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yet, what happened to Paul? Without Christ, Paul did not know God's heart and worse, he opposed God's purpose. He was doing exactly opposite of God's redemptive work. You know, Paul later said in Romans 10 that in his zeal, the zeal was without knowledge. In his religious zeal for God, Paul completely missed God's heart and his will. And then he said, you know, so, Instead of uh, you know, serving God, he was actually persecuting Christians. Why? Paul did not recognize God's grace in Christ. Paul thought the crucified Galilean hillbilly rabbi Jesus is nothing but a messianic pretender, head of the heresy. He never imagined God could humble himself that much. So he said, theology without Christ, became a weapon against the God's faithful followers and Christians. And then Jesus met Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, on the road to Damascus. And there, Lord Jesus showed Paul, not just, his spirit, not just his physical blindness, but through that spiritual blindness. And then later saved him through the witness of Ananias in Damascus. So Paul found God in where? in Christ. That's why the phrase in Christ became a pulsing nature theological expression. You heard me saying this. Paul's theology is summed up in two words, in Christ. And then in 2 Corinthians study we learn that in uh, chapter 5 verse 17 Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, old has gone, everything has become new. Christ is a new creator. Recreator, Redeemer of everyone and everything. So, Trinity starts with the Christ. Christ is a window to pick into infinite beauty of God, and door to enter the inexpressible joy of a divine fellowship. If you look at the John chapter fourteen, you know there is a one uh, 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 just hours before Jesus was crucified. There was a conversation between Jesus and the disciples. And John chapter chapter 14, verse 6 says, Jesus answered, Jesus said, I am the way and truth and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him, have seen him. Jesus said, You saw God. And then Philip asked, Lord, show us the Father. will be enough for us you know seeing god is impossible even moses didn't see god right according to the old testament so only the back of the god and jesus answered what don't you know me philip even after i've been uh, among you such a long time anyone who has seen me seen the father how can you say show me the father don't you believe i'm in the father and the father is in me the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is a Father living in me who is doing His work. Believe me when I say, I am in the Father and Father is in me. Or at least believe in the evidence of a work themselves. Jesus repeatedly twice "The Father is in me, I am in mean Father. Jesus is a physical, visible manifestation of a trinity or a triune God. And then Paul also, that's why Paul said, the reason the invisible God became a visible human being is to make us what? Rich. So 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Paul said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Early Christians call it great exchange. Jesus took our poverty and sin, all the problem, limitation on himself through his human you know, flesh and the human nature, and he gave all his blessings of a divine you know, nature and life. Now, that's why you know in the Christmas Eve service, I emphasize that Paul. When it comes to think about God's gift of Christ, what's the adjective he used? What's the one word that Paul used? Anybody? Speak loud. Indescribable. Indescribable. The 2 Corinthians 9.15, Paul called, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And then adjective indescribable appears only once in the entire Bible, that is, in 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Grace is indescribable because for us, grace is not some kind of, once again, abstract, esoteric, adjective, or some kind of mystery. For us, grace is a personal. Grace is a person. Grace is embodied. In came to us in flesh. So grace is a Paul's favorite word. You know, New Testament mentions grace 114 times. Guess how many times Paul used the word grace? Out of 114. 80 times. 80 times. And the number one book mentions a grace is the book of Romans, 19, 18 times. And number two is a Corinthians, 2 Corinthians and Ephesians for 11 times. Now, what is a grace? Original Greek word for grace is a charis. From which we have an English word such like a charismatic. You know, what is a charismatic? It's not a, you know, a Christian denomination. You heard that expression to some people, right? Oh, he or she is so charismatic. So, you know, he has a, such a, 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 you know, such a drawing power. You know, Charismatic. In dictionary means gifted, larger than life, magnetic, and attractive. When I was in Baylor, there was my, uh, one of the young uh, theologian and my professor, actually very brilliant young theologian named Pete Candler. One day he made a statement that startled all of us. In the we, I was taking a Thomas Aquinas class with him. And he said, Jesus Christ is more sexy than all. Let me repeat that. Jesus Christ is more sexy than anything that you know. Sexy. You don't associate the word sexy to Jesus. You know? When was the last time you heard the sexy Jesus? So when he said that, he said, what? What is he talking about? This young guy he said, "You know, I'm is younger than I." So I said, "Ah, I all almost you know, I'm losing my respect for my professor right there." And then he said, "Sexy means attractive. Do you know anything more attractive than Christology? Christology is the sexiest thing that we know." And I said, "Hallelujah! I will I will use the word sexy. Found the true." I mean, sexy found a real, 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 real partner. Sexy, yes. Grace is a sexy. It has an attractive power. You know. So more, let me tell you, the more grace you know, more sexier you will become. I mean, more sexier you become, and more sexier we should become. We're not talking about this kind of shallow, physical, fleeting, you know, beauty. We're talking about. Permanent, growing, transforming, incredible—you know—attraction that are helpful to the people. Hallelujah. You know, that's the grace. Jesus is grace of Jesus attract us to the heart of God. And the process, what happened? He heals us. Someone said, man is born broken, and he lives by mending, and grace of God is glue. We are fragile beings. We are easily broken by worries of others, or bad circumstance, or bad mood even. Even bad movie hurt me. Yeah, I've seen some bad movies. and Netflix is you know, horrible. But anyway. We are so fragile. We are broken easily. How do we recover? It's a grace. God's grace put us back like a glue. Like a glue. And Jonathan Edward, great uh, New England uh, uh, preacher, he said, Grace is anything but glory began. And glory is anything but grace perfected. What a beautiful statement. Jonathan Edwards said it right. Grace not only saves us, but also perfects us. Because grace and glory are connected. Grace and glory both come from God. When God gives us a grace, He also gives us a glory. In the grace of Lord Jesus Christ, you and I become glorious. The more grace we receive, the more we are attracted to God and the more we are attracted to God, get close to God, we more resemble to God. And then we, instead of reflecting the greed and the pride of the world, we reflect, we radiate God's goodness and kindness and grace to other people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. Let me move to the second point quickly. The second benediction that leads us, it's a, it's, it's, that's the love of God. And love of God simply means God is love. And here, no other ancient religion has this a radical idea about God. Ancient Greco-Roman religions, their idea of God, main idea of God is that, you know, God is like a patron, divine patron. And the human, you know, adorant, they are more like a, a, a client. So God, just, uh, you know, uh, God bless all those who offer sacrifice on, you know, some rituals and the special days for God, you know, through convenience and comfort and then usually health. Health was a very big, big part of the uh, Greco-Roman religion. But when it comes to a Christian God, Bible said, God is love. God is love. Once again, Kalbar said this, who God is and what God does is the same thing. Who God is, what God does is the same thing. God's being and doing has no discrepancy, no gap, but it falls together. What God does is who God is. And both points out to love of God. Look at the 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 said, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God, knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we love God, but He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Not No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. Do you notice the connection between 1 John 4 2? Gospel of John chapter 14, we just read a few minutes ago. Jesus said, Father is in me, I am in Father. You have seen me, you have seen the Father, right? And then John, his kind of language is 1 John chapter 4, this passage language is very much like, you know, resembled the Gospel of John chapter 14. God lives in us when we we love one another. Now, still it's a little abstract. So let me bring it out the second point, the view of, you know, what does it mean? What does it, God is love or God loves me has to do with my view of myself. Let us do one exercise. I want you to sort of respond. I'm going to give a fill in the blank question and you fill it up. I'll give you 10 seconds to answer. So ready to uh, type on your chat box. The blank statement is, uh, I am blank. One word. What's the one word that comes to your mind? I count ten. I want you to write there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. What did you say? <laughs> All right. I am... All right. Somebody named Mary or Kim said, I am hungry. Okay. I'm. Oh. Andres and Elisa. I am loved. I am honest. Well, Mo said, I am tired. I am. All right. All right. Uh, Chung family said, I am redeemed. Wow, there's another hungry. Okay. Thank God there's another loved. Okay, I am trying. All right, someone said, I am sleepy. All right, my goodness. Don't fall asleep during the sermon. That's word, you know. Somebody died during the whole sermon while sleeping. But anyway, point is, some people fill in the blank, like, with a character. Character, That's, I'm patient. I'm passionate. You know, or some people put it as a relationally. That uh, I am father, yeah. That would be very close to my answer. I'm father, you know, or I'm, I'm, you know, I'm husband, or uh, you know, uh, yeah, you know, I'm Jamie's, more like it, to me. And uh, I'm single. Some feel it professionally, you know. I'm a doctor, you know. I'm a lawyer. I'm a teacher, you know. Some feel it emotionally, you know. I'm happy. I'm lonely. You know. I'm seeking. You know. I'm available. Yes, that's great. Great word, you know. I'm eligible. We have a lot of eligible people in our church. Hopefully, they know each other. Now, I am loved. Let me illustrate that the meaning of it through a story that I heard. It's actually a testimony of a pastor, of a PCA, a Presbyterian Church of America. This pastor's, you know, story, I remember very well, because. It's an incredible gospel story. So let me share it briefly. This pastor had a mother. mother. His mother was a prostitute. And she had 12 children from different men. And they lived in the tiny house. So he had to share his bed with the other siblings. And from early on, he wet the bed every night. He was a bad wetter. And then, finally, one day his mother couldn't take care of them. And she has to surrender all 12 children to foster care. So he had to go live with a foster parent. And once again, there he wet the bed. And then, Foster parents, they tried to sort of help him. Some of them was uh, really uh, abrasive, the way they helped him. So one foster mother kind of put his nose to spoiled, you know, bad shit, and rub it like, uh, you know, some, you know, dog owner tried to teach a dog a lesson. And uh, one foster parent made a sign, Oh, and he has to be on the porch with a sign that uh, I'm a bad weather. Sort of uh, sh- shock him with a shame so that he will stop. But he couldn't stop. So if you ask him a question, I am blank, he will say, I'm a bad weather. Bad weather. 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 That would be his identity. So between... Uh, uh, age of 10 to 12, he moved eight different foster cares. So, at the, so at, the, at, the, at the age of 18, if you ask him the same question, I am blank question, he will say, I am unwanted. I am un- unwanted. Because of my bad wedding, all foster parents are rejecting me. When he was 12 years old, he went to a foster parent. And this couple, actually, they they are old couple. And they didn't have a child. And they've been praying for adoption of a child for a long time. So they were really happy to have him. The first day they had a dinner, he was very nervous. he, he, he said he doesn't remember what he ate because all he could think is that I'm going to wet my bed again tonight and they will be so mad and disappointed in me that were are going to return me to whatever, social service again. So after dinner, when the foster mother or adopted mother took him to his bed and tugged him into the bed, he just looked down his head and then whispered to her, I mean, said to her quietly that, I wet bed every, every night. I'm going to wet bed tonight. And then there was silence. And finally, he lifted up his, his head, catching his eyes. His adopted mother said, That's okay. We've been waiting for you for a long time. And we love you. That's okay. And she knelt down and gave him a big hug. And this pastor said, at that incident, something happened. Something happened. And for the first time, he didn't wet the bed that night. And since then, he never wet the bed again. Why? He found the true identity. That is, I am loved. I am loved. You know, this is a gospel story. This is a core of identity. Because of Jesus Christ, you and I can say, I am loved by God. I am loved by God. I was so glad that Mo chose a second song, the good, good father. Who is God? He's a good father. Who I am? I'm his child. I'm loved. I'm loved. That is our core identity. And dear brothers and sisters, if God loves us, if I'm loved by Almighty God, who did not spare His own Son for me, what else matters? We are the most blessed. We are the luckiest. We are the richest people in this world. And we are not afraid of anything. As Paul said, Romans 8, Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, even death, even anything in this world or whatever in the whole realm. Nothing can separate us from God. We are so dear to God. Hallelujah. That is a love of God. That is a love of God. Love of God is not just a religious joy, religious you know a, 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 a cliche. It is a reality that God wants us to experience with him. Now let me move on to the third benediction. The third benediction, Paul said, is a fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Here, I believe, Paul brings the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and love of God together in the most practical, at the same time, most profound manner. Here, Paul elevates Fellowship to the divine reality. You have to notice this. The Apostle Paul, an early Christian, fellowship was not an extra activity of the church, but it was an essential reality of God that the Holy Spirit invited us to participate. In contrast, many modern Christians, you know, we, we think of fellowship is a, nothing but an extra. It's not essential. It's extra. So we skip, you know, just uh, like a church. You know, people a lot of time, you know, I mean, we have uh, one of the reasons that actually in-person worship, we, we, we last six years we had uh, lunch is because we want to have a deeper fellowship, longer fellowship, because that's the will of God. You know, worship is nothing but a fellowship of God. And our fellowship is a reflection of that worship. And then once again, John said, Apostle John said, the full joy comes from not only fellowship with God or worship with God, but fellowship with one another. Look at 1 John 1, verse 3 and 4. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have a fellowship with us through Christ and our fellowship with with the Father and with the Son and Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. Complete joy comes from fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. You know, there are a lot of Christians with a half joy, incomplete joy. And usually, they are without community. Without faithful, they are not faithful or committed to fellowshipping with one another. And this pandemic, I think, reveals us the importance and power of a fellowship. You know, without the, the friendship and fellowship in weekly you know, house church, I don't think we would be here today. Yesterday, we had a 4S annual members meeting, FAM. And uh, we, we, we reviewed this year. And I hope those of you who haven't uh, become a members yet, take the cornerstone and take a membership seminar. And then, you know, you, are, you will join us. And then you will know everything that's going on in the church. And this church in the 2020, we grew. You know, a lot of uh, I know several local church pastors, and then their churches struggled attendance-wise and the finance-wise. You know, we actually grew over 20, 20 plus. You know, I mean, uh, Philip will give us the uh, exact number next Sunday or following su- next Sunday. But we grew by grace of God. We grew. How is that possible? is because of our house church ministry. Because of our commitment to the fellowship that kept us growing. And so we in a way thrived. We didn't survive pandemic. Praise God for us to thrive. This is another peak year for me and for us. This is a this you know every year I write a small, you know, kind of a journal about the, the highlight of the year. 2020, I thought this is a down year. No, it's another up year. Unprecedented, you know, thriving year for forest, All because everyone who is committed to fellowship. Thank God and God bless us and we continue to do so. You know, in, when you look at the uh, Christian history, very interesting, pious people, spiritually minded people, they all want to seek God, but they at the end, they found out the most effective way to, you know, uh, uh, to fellowship with God or worship God is uh, through other people together. So, for instance, the, the, if you look at the early churches of monastic movement, initially, it was uh, individualistic. We call this, uh, you know, uh, people of the monastic movement called the hermit. You heard the word hermit, right? Sort of a hiding Monks. By the way, word monastic came from Monacos in Greek, which means single or single-minded monacos. You know, there's a city called the Monaco in the Europe, right? It's actually that's the same Greek word. Monaco means, you know, single-minded or single-focused. Out of which Monaco, we have English word monk. Monk is a single-minded person. So in that sense, we should be all monk. We are all monks. We are single-minded on Christ and God. Now, initially, the monastic movement or monks, they are all hermit. And they found out that's not effective. <laughs> Individually, they are kind of very weak. So guess what? They form a community. This is how monastery was born. Now, this for Paul and Corinthians, problem of a fellowship was not a secondary issue. It's a primary issue. If you look at Paul's first letter, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, first thing Paul said was, first 10, Paul said, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and, and that there may be no division among you, that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from the Chloe's house inform me that there are quarrels among you. And some of you say, I follow Paul, I, I follow Apollo, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. The problem of a Corinthian church was a division, not united fellowship. It's a fragmented fellowship was a serious problem in Corinthian church. And then today, Paul was really, really the last So Paul's, in you know, a whole letter to Corinthians start with uh, this problem of a fellowship and it ends with blessing on fellowship. That's a whole, uh, that's a inclusive of uh, Paul's letter to Corinthians. And then Paul used a very particular, you know, form of expression. In verse 12, this is very important. Paul said, greet one another. With what? Holy kiss. Holy kiss. You know, kissing one another is a very common form of a greeting back then. And Paul made it this a common greeting into the most challenging way of a fellowship. Let me explain that to you. You know, once again, uh, in the Mediterranean world. Cultures around the Mediterranean world, you know, the uh, uh, greeting one another with a kiss is very common. So for instance, when I uh, immigrated to Argentina at the age of 15, I still remember the first day I went to the, my high school downtown. My parents sent my sister and I to the very uh, ex- exclusive, expensive uh, uh, prep school downtown. It takes up more than an hour. Uh ah, sometimes buses, buses, I mean, anyway, it's a, and then I went there, and the Argentinians, even today, I mean, they way they greet, they greet one another with so-called umbesito. You know, beso, besito, umbesito, they just put each other's, you know, a cheek and then make a sound, and that's how they greet, all right? And I was 15 years old. From South Korea. In last three years, I spent the boys' junior high school. Only woman I saw in my life was my mother and my sister, and then a sweet. They're stronger than men. My mom beat up me more than anybody, and my sister was uh, I feared physically. And then I moved to Argentina, and there's a beautiful Argentinian girls. There is like a thirty in my class. I mean, oh, actually, 15, but uh, it doesn't matter. Every morning, they're coming, and we're doing a besito. That's the closest, closest physical contact I ever came to a girl. Until I met my wife. So, guess how I enjoy the school? I never missed the school, man. For a whole year, that one-hour commute, I never missed the school. Who missed the school like that, right? Oh, man still kind of warms my heart yes smells good yeah not just one like the 30, 30 30 40, every morning and every you know every time we go you know say goodbye now more than I was shot by Umbesito we should be shocked by what Paul said about holy kiss because Apostle Paul was the very first person in Greco-Roman world to instruct the members of the church to greet one another with a holy kiss. And the reason he called the holy kiss is that when you kiss one another, it's only your kind of people. Only is an expression to the family members. But Paul, when he said greet one another with a holy kiss, he's talking about slaves and masters slave household, and the master's household, male and female, all together. You greet one another. So a New Testament scholar once said this, there is a general agreement that holy kiss has its origin in the practice which in the early church among the believers themselves with the impetus, probably coming from the shape of their life with Jesus himself. Nothing analogous to it, is to be found among any Greco-Roman societies, not even in the common community, the Jewish you know, monastic movement. And then this New Testament scholar said, the admonition to kiss one another served to stress the liberty to express without any vision to all people of whatever background, rank, or gender, the order of agape in any context. Holy kiss, is a public declaration of affirmation of a faith in Christ. There is a neither male or female, nor Jew or Greek, slave or free, that holy kiss, expression of that faith and confession. Let me close uh, my sermon with a story at a movie that I enjoyed so much uh, in. I was really busy this year, but I, I was at, The movie was so good, and I highly recommend everybody. The best movie for, I mean, Oscar of 2020, I cast for Queen's Gambit. It's a series, yes. But uh, Queen's Gambit, it's a story about chess prodigy, Beth Harmon. She... She was a nine-year-old orphan who lost mother in a car accident. And she, she was interested she was interested orphanage. And there, she was going through the, you know, she really kind of tried to figure out her life. And then one day, she found a custodian named Mr. Shabo. He's playing a chess, and she got interested in chess. And she is actually, her mother is a mathematician in a PhD. So she is naturally good at the test, and she has this incredible idea of spatial reasoning. So test became her sort of identity, and she is beating everybody. And she became a child prodigy, she became a state champion. she became even the, the, the best in the country. So story goes in there. And then finally, she met the nemesis of her life that is a grandmaster from Russia, Soviet Union. We're talking about 1960s Cold War. To Russians, the chess is a national game. They will not allow any foreigners, especially Americans, win the chess, chess game. So they actually protect the grandmaster with the, you know, multiple teams committed to him and they help him. And then also you know, sabotaging the, uh, whoever is a uh, you know, possible threat. And she played against this grandmaster, and each time, it was a horrible defeat. So all of a sudden, her identity, the winning chess, winner of the chess, invincible identity is completely shattered. So she hit the bottom, and she's drinking, and she's kind of losing it all, and then her orphanage friend came. Orphanage friend named Jolene came, and then gave her a, a news: Mr. Shibo died. Would you like to go to his funeral? So she visit her orphanage, and and. Well, service was also, but she went down to the basement where she used to, a uh, 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 basement where Mr. Scheibel's, you know, uh, uh, room mm-hmm. was. And there, she saw a collage on the wall that Mr. Scheibel Mr. was collecting every news article about her. That means she was, he was following her. And then he she was a pride and joy of it, his life. His, she gave a meaning to his life. And, we, and when she found out that she her game is more than just for her own ego, but for it gave a meaning to other people. She was a heartbreak. She she was she opened up that she felt I'm loved. And then when she came to the car and then she crying with Jolene. And this is what Jolin said. Shaibul wasn't the only one who kept after you all these years. For a time, I was all you had, and for a time, you was all I had. We weren't orphans, not as long as we had each other. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not your guardian angel. I'm not here to save you. Hell, I can barely save me. I'm here. Because you need me be here. That's what family does. It's what we are. So at the end, Beth find a family of a mischief. And with a family, I'll leave the uh, end to you. Now, Charles Burton once said, Some Christians try to go to heaven alone in solitude. But believers are not compared to the bears or lions or other animals that wander alone. But those who belong to Christ are sheep in this respect. They love to get together. Sheep go in flocks. So do God's people. Hallelujah. We don't go to heaven alone. We go to heaven together. That's what forest stands for. That's why we named the church forest. We are not a big tree church. We are forest. We are the group of trees, of a faithful. like each other in the root, the redwood you know, forest. 2020, God blessed us, saved us, and strengthened us through the blessing of a fellowship. Through the grace of Christ and the love of, love of a father. Let's continue to fellowship one another. Let's spur one another. Let's really call each other when we are missing in fellowship. Hallelujah. Let's pray.